Hello, hello, hello. My name is Courtney Turner, and you are listening to Bluegrass Community Foundation's Do Good Radio Hour. We usually stay on a pretty early recording schedule, and we like to be flexible when it comes to releasing episodes. So even though we're recording this particular episode in mid-April, I am already envisioning what May is going to look like. And you have to know, I cannot wait for summer activities. And the best way to learn about summer activities, in my opinion, is a good old Insta story. And that's where you come in. If you are celebrating warm weather in the bluegrass and you stumble upon something we all need to partake in this summer, take a picture or a video and tag us at BGCFKY. That way we can get summer fun ideas while learning about the places who make our state feel like home. If Instagram isn't your thing, I totally understand. You can also tag us on Facebook and TikTok at BGCFKY or send me an email at Courtney at BGCF.org. That's C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y at BGCF.org. And let's talk some more fun. Today's guest is Director of Outreach and Education for Food Chain. And this interview highlights exactly why she does what she does. In the short amount of time that we spent together, she taught me so much about things like aquaponics and food deserts and knife skills. I mean, we really get into the weeds here, but it was so much fun. She was a wonderful guest, and I can't wait for you to hear her story. Here is Kristen Hughes. Kristen, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Courtney? I'm doing good. Thanks. You have to know, these shirts are my favorite shirts oh, of all time. <laughs> I always point them out at the Good Giving Challenge because awesome. you all are so cute. Yes. I cannot live. Yes. We love it. All of our staff wear our merch all the yes, time. And as it's just, you should. Yeah, it looks great on everyone. It's the best. Now, before we jump into the nitty gritty of things, yeah. why don't you take a moment to tell us who you are, yeah. what you do, and then give us a glimpse of what Food Chain is. Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Kristen Hughes. Um, I am the current Director of Education and Outreach at Food Chain, but I'm also serving as Interim Co-Executive Director um, as of a few weeks ago uh, with my colleague Leandra Foreman, who's the Director of Operations. I have been with Food Chain since 2019. 
previous to that, um, I was a Spanish teacher for seven years. And while I was doing uh, teaching Spanish to kindergarten through eighth grade, I had become really involved in farm to school and Mm. the farm to school movement at our school. Um, And I was doing a lot of the education and working with teachers to provide more ag education and realized that there is a need for even more of this. Um, Just the small amount I was doing, like the kids were absorbing everything and definitely realized there is more need for more ag education, more really food literacy education and understanding where the food, where food comes from, but understanding how it fits into your own life and how your own choices really impact the local food system. And so when this job opened up at Food Chain to do education and really focused on food education, I was like, oh, yes, this is perfect. And I can still speak Spanish. So it's great. Now, when I was in high school, we had an ag program. Yeah. And the overall assumption of that program was like, farm machinery Mm -hmm. and like cows and things and that's great we need all of those things but it didn't sound very fun yeah and now that I am older Mm -hmm. not only do I realize how necessary it is but I'm so interested in it and I just have no idea where to start yeah so what do you what advice would you give to people who are kind of like (laughs) Kind of like me, like I don't know how to grow anything and that is really frustrating. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of really great local resources. Um, Seedleaf is one. We partner with them a lot. They do a lot of community gardening education. So um, we ourselves at Food Chain have gone and volunteered Mm -hmm. to help them prep garden beds. Uh, When I was working as a teacher, we took groups of kids to kind of clean out beds uh, for the fall in preparation for the winter, but also to prep them in the spring. And just through those interactions, um, I found that students really learned so much more by getting that hands-on experience. Mm-hmm. And so for anyone who, you know, is a little <laughs> bit fearful of starting their own garden, yes. like I think volunteering with Seedleaf is definitely a great thing. We also have opportunities to volunteer on our aquaponics farm, which <sighs> is a little bit different than growing outside, but it is so rewarding and it's really beautiful in there and very, very calming. I'm so excited to talk about that. Yes. But before we get to aquaponics. Yes, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about food chain history yeah. because you all are coming up on 12th yes. anniversary, 12th birthday. Yes. So what did those early days look like and how has that transformed into what you all do today? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to start off, like for those who don't know what food chain is or who we mm-hmm. are, Um, We are a nonprofit organization that is increasing access to locally sourced fresh food for everyone. So for the past 11 years, we have really partnered with our local community to empower people to love food with innovative methods of direct food access. Um, So that includes unique and accessible food literacy program, a little on the education side of things things, uh, the indoor aquaponics farm, and then we also have a teaching and processing kitchen. Um, And this has really grounded our mission in being able to model a more sustainable Mm -hmm. food system. Our mission is all about forging links between community and fresh food. Um, We were established and founded in the location where we exist for a reason, and that is because there is low access to fresh food. Mm -hmm. Uh, There aren't grocery stores that are nearby that are 
really that accessible. Um, there are there are buses that go through our neighborhood, but they're a little bit further away. And mm-hmm. if you are trying to go to the grocery store and get you know, a week's or two weeks worth of food, it can be pretty difficult. Absolutely. Um, and so that's the whole reason behind Food Chain is really being able to provide access and education. And one of the things we really focus on a lot at Food Chain is that access without education isn't going to solve the problem mm-hmm. in the same way education without access. So that's why we've really developed these direct food access programs um, that have also evolved over the years, mm-hmm. and they're a little bit different than when we were first founded. Um, but we are first and foremost have always been an educational nonprofit, and education takes on many different forms. Right. Um, education for farmers, education for consumers, education for staff that work at Food Chain, mm-hmm. and you know don't have the knowledge on where fresh uh, ingredients come from, um, and so. When we were founded, uh, we are located in the old Rainbow Bread Factory, um, and that sat abandoned for many, many years. And so it was an underutilized space. Uh, The owners of West Six Brewery purchased the entire building. Um, They started renovating the space so that they could open the brewery. And at the same time, they really recognized the need for more community organizations who were dedicated to kind of revitalizing the neighborhood and providing supports for the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. So Food Chain was actually one of the first tenants in the building. Uh, We moved in even before West 6 did because it was an empty space and we kind of settled in and decided, yeah, decided (laughs) what are we going to do in here? Um, And what's really unique about it is there is such a rich history Mm -hmm. in our neighborhood and we really have prided ourselves on connecting with our neighbors and just valuing the input um, for who we are as a nonprofit and how we can better serve the community. We are not here to make decisions for people who live here. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, we live in the community as well, but it is super important for the direction that we take that there is community buy-in and that they are a part of that decision making. Mm. What are some of those decisions that the buy-in has kind of created. Yeah, absolutely. So when we first opened, we were focused on kind of phase one of food chain, which was open the aquaponics farm. Mm -hmm. Um, This is something that our founder, Rebecca Self, had heard about. She had met with some people to talk about aquaponics, was very interested in bringing this into an urban location. Um, And so that was the first focus of how can we provide education and how can we showcase like production of food in a space where you might not think it's possible. Right. Um, and through that, one of the things that uh, they started doing early on was to prepare meals and they would have, when Smithtown Seafood finally opened, Smithtown would like make a couple of soups. We would flyer the neighborhood, invite our neighbors to come and share a meal with us inside the farm. Um, and this is before the rest of Food Chain existed, uh-huh. and just talk and listen of, you know, what what are the needs of the community? What else can we do with this space? Mm-hmm. And through that input, that is where the idea of the teaching and processing kitchen really was born. Um, the need for, so we've, we've, we're doing the food production side with the mm-hmm. aquaponics farm, but now um, the need for more access and processing of fresh ingredients um, and making that available. 
And with that also the continuing of education onto the kitchen side of things. And uh, that's where we, in 2017, is uh, where we finally were able to uh, open the kitchen, but also start a food sector job training program. So really focusing on workforce development. So it wasn't just we're going to do it in the kitchen. Right. It is, no, this kitchen belongs to the community, mm-hmm. and we're going to use our space in order to teach others. So cool. Yeah. Let's talk aquaponics. Yeah. What absolutely. in the world is aquaponics? <laughs> yeah. So it's a lot of water. <laughs> um, and this is, this is such a fun thing to talk about uh, because it was something I really wasn't aware of before I started working at Food Chain. And just through my time there, I myself have learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so aquaponics is the combination of aquaculture, which is raising things in water, specifically fish or marine life, and then combining that with hydroponics, which is growing things in a hydroponic system. Now, a lot of people think hydroponics is automatically just water, but mm-hmm. it's not always water. Sometimes it's just another substrate that isn't dirt. Oh, um, so I didn't know that. Yes. So no soil. Um, a good example of this on our farm, we have a barrel system that mm. is full of these clay pellets, which are really good at absorbing water, but they're not sitting in water. So it'll uh. like fill up with water, the pellets will absorb it, and then it will drain. So that will provide enough moisture and food to the roots of the plant, mm-hmm. uh, but they're not sitting in water. But the big part of our farm is sitting in water. So um, our system is actually, it's a 7,000-gallon deep water recirculating system. And this is modeled after something that was developed at the University of the Virgin Islands in the 1990s. Um, And what's really unique about our system is it is all gravity-based. So our fish are at the highest point in the system. Mm -hmm. And what happens in aquaponics is... When fish eat, you know, you know. (laughs) Um, So fish waste is what is going to eventually provide the fertilizer to the plants. Now, plants really like a form of nitrogen, not every single form of Mm. nitrogen. They like nitrates. What fish produce is another form of nitrogen, but it's ammonia. Uh Now, fish don't like to swim around in ammonia. Plants don't like ammonia. So we have to find a way to get that out. Mm -hmm. So what happens in our system is the water gets filtered out and the solids get filtered out. We're not pushing solid fish waste through the system. We're only using the water. Um, But it goes into some settling tanks and another system. I am not the farm manager, I will say (laughs) right now. So I'm probably getting some of the science words incorrect. Um, But it it undergoes, uh, we have good bacteria in the system. Mm -hmm. And these are nitrifying bacteria that will transform the ammonia into nitrites first, and then nitrates. And that is the water that then goes into the plant beds. So the plants are going to absorb that, essentially clean the water, and then the only pump that we have on the system is at the very end where the plant beds empty into that and that gets pumped back up into the fish tanks. What's really great about the system, we use about 90% less water than traditional agriculture. Um, We're constantly cleaning the water and the solid fish waste that does get filtered out, we put into a biodigester and that actually continues to break down um, and turns into fertilizer that you could use on your gardens. Which you all are giving away? 
for a donation. Yeah, Hello. so you can you can bring a bucket to Food Chain. We have a link somewhere on our social media, I think, mm-hmm. um, where you can fill out a form if you want some of this really great fertilizer for your gardens, especially now that it's gardening season. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can come with a bucket. We'll fill it up for you, and then you can take it to your garden. So do you all think that aquaponics is going to be a system that is really adapted not just statewide, but everywhere. I mean, you said that this came from the Virgin Islands, and so now it's in the bluegrass. How was that going to culminate over so many spaces? Yeah, absolutely. I think that what's really cool about aquaponics is there are so many different forms of it. Um, It can look, you can do it outdoors, you can do it indoors, like it doesn't have to look like Mm -hmm. our system. Uh, One of the things that we really try to do with aquaponics is to bring more youth education into it. So we do work with schools um, to create these classroom systems. So they're based on aquaponics. So we are still doing fish, Mm -hmm. we're still doing plants, but it doesn't always look the same. One of uh, the things that we have developed most recently is a vertical system. Mm. So it has a 55 gallon tank at the bottom of the system and then PVC pipe that's built up. Mm -hmm. And there is a pump that's going to pump the water to the top of the PVC pipe. And that's where the plants go. So it's still the same idea. It's just done a little bit different. And that's really what we're seeing in the world of aquaponics is there's a lot of innovation that is going on, um, especially as we look at climate change and how climate change is affecting agriculture. Mm -hmm. Aquaponics is something that is at the forefront of kind of some of the solutions of how you can do this. It is pretty low barrier Mm -hmm. uh, to develop. You can develop something super, super expensive, of course, but you can also do this pretty um, inexpensively. And that makes it like really accessible to most of the world. I mean, you all have a blog post because I was obsessed. (laughs) I'm genuine. I'm going to have to come and tour the facility because I am every Saturday dangerously (laughs) obsessed with what's happening. I saw that you all made an aquaponics I'll call it a farm. It was a tiny farm. It was for one basil plant. Yes. And I think that is so yes. cool. Like there's, you have this massive scientific system in yeah. your farm and then you have a basil plant that yeah. you can just grow at your house. And I think that's really neat. Absolutely. And we've had um, folks that have reached out to us who have turned like a Brita water filter into an aquaponic <gasps> system. I wasn't around when they showed that, sure. but like that sounds that's really, really cool. cool. <laughs> I, I love that. Right. I want to go and try that. <laughs> Um, and it was somebody who just like put it under a lamp at their house and it seemed to work pretty well. Obviously, you're not going to solve a lot of the, the sure. issues that we have with hunger mm-hmm. and food security um, in that way. But what we really hope to do with these kinds of systems and the education we're offering is to inspire people to think broader, mm-hmm. bigger, grander and how they can use aquaponics to provide some solutions. Now, let's talk about the teaching and processing kitchen. Because a lot of times, I know from a personal standpoint, I love to be in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. But even when I see fresh vegetables or fresh produce, I get a little overwhelmed. Because I'm like, I know how to make mashed potatoes. I can put these potatoes into the oven. That's all I've got. I can steam things, and that's great. So what are you all doing in this kitchen that helps promote a healthier, more sustainable environment for our yeah. communities? So um, our teaching and processing kitchen, when we opened it in 2017, we were really focused on 
food waste and reducing food waste while also increasing food access. And one kind of big section of food waste is food waste that occurs on a farm. Mm. Um, And this comes directly from like seconds, um, which are those, you know, ugly fruits and vegetables, Mm -hmm. the carrots that have like three legs and things that grocery stores won't purchase in auctions um, because they look different than normal fruits and vegetables. Um, And so we wanted to, number one, increase revenue for local farmers. And Mm -hmm. number two, it still tastes the same. So we can make this accessible and turn this into something that can still be provided to the community. Um, And then the second part is also surplus. So a lot of Mm -hmm. times, like if it's a, you know, an incredibly great harvest season, Sometimes farmers have excess and a lot and don't know exactly what to do with it. Um, And so we are able to be um, a a location that they can sell to. And what we do then is we take this, and it's changed a little bit over the years, um, but the idea was to take this produce and process it in a way that does make it more accessible Mm. to the community. So... We do a lot of peeling, dicing, blanching, freezing, chopping, um, and making it so that it is a form of these fruits and vegetables that can be easily added to a soup or a stir fry Mm -hmm. or, you know, without having to think about um, having to cut something up or like, how do I cut this butternut squash? What am I supposed to do with this eggplant? Creating these these products that um, can benefit the community and make it more accessible. And in the beginning, we were partnering a lot with um, a lot of local food pantries. Mm. And so making these things available. Um, We also wanted to extend the season for a lot of these seasonal ingredients. And so by freezing things, you then make tomatoes available in the winter when otherwise, you know, the tomatoes that you buy at the grocery store, they're just not going to taste like anything. Uh -uh. Um, And so that's a lot of what we were doing. Now, things have changed over the years, especially in 2020. No. (laughs) What happened in 2020? (laughs) So we were actually in a really great spot because we had opened the teaching and processing kitchen. We had already been doing feast for several years. Mm -hmm. So we had relationships with a lot of local restaurants. We had relationships with local farmers. And when everything shut down, and I mean everything, If you think about it, so universities, everything was happening in March. A lot of farmers had seeds in their ground. Universities are canceling all of their big contracts with um, local producers, a lot of school districts. So you've got all these farmers that have already paid for seeds, are already watering things, and don't necessarily have an outlet. So we were able to step in and start purchasing these. We were also able to step in and with restaurants that had to close down and had freezers and walk-ins mm. full of produce, we were able to take those as donations. And then because we had worked so hard at building up the community and really making these partnerships with the community, um, we already had these outlets and people reaching out to us saying, hey, we already know that people are going to be hungry, they're out of work. Nobody knows how long this is going. And so because we have this kind of industrial kitchen at Food Chain, a large walk-in, a large freezer, we took in as much food as we could. We purchased from local farmers. We were getting lots of donations to do this work. And we started turning it into hot meals. Mm. 
At one point, we had 62 distribution points around the city, um, and that's where Nourish Lexington came from. Yeah. And so we were providing meals to the community. We were also providing support to local restaurants by paying them to create meals for the community. Um, and we were, you know, purchasing as much local produce from farmers so that they weren't throwing it away or right. not harvesting it um, and making that accessible to the community. And those are some things that kind of change the trajectory of food chain, but we're still mm-hmm. very much in line with our whole mission of forging links between community and fresh food and creating these extra access points. And it's something we continue to do. And one of the things we really like to point out is that our meals are educational. Mm -hmm. So it is showcasing how to use different ingredients, um, exposing folks to different flavors and taste profiles that maybe they've never had before, um, and really just increasing the amount of nutrition that people are receiving. You all even go as far as to say, here's how you cut things. You have kids coming in and learning how to prepare these meals. Yeah. What does the trajectory look like now that you've taken that big turn in 2020? Yeah, absolutely. We definitely value um, the relationships that we have with our community, and we have seen that the need is only increasing as far as food access. I mean, food prices have skyrocketed Mm. at grocery stores. A lot of um, federal funding that was in place to help low-income families has gone away. But with prices going up, like, it means you're in a worse spot than you were right before the pandemic. Um, And so we really, we want to continue doing these meals. We uh, feel connected to the community doing that. It is supporting farmers. It is... um, still in line with kind of the three pillars of our teaching kitchen, which are to increase kitchen confidence. So showcasing, you know, how you can make meals for your family, um, discovering seasonality of fruits and vegetables. So utilizing local ingredients and really providing that extra education, uh, telling people, you know, we're using lots of tomatoes now because they're in season. Mm -hmm. We're using lots of green peppers now because they're in season. And then helping people to explore their own personal food preferences. Mm. Um, And those are three things that we're still very, very much focused on. We are getting ready to start back our workforce development program, um, which isn't about teaching people how to be a chef in the kitchen, but it's teaching more about the local food system, Mm. how to operate, um, how to understand kind of how your choices can affect things. You will also be helping us in the kitchen to process all of these eggplants and carrots <laughs> and sweet, so many sweet potatoes. Mm. Um, and one of the things that we have really noticed is like, we have this third undeveloped space at Food Chain um, that we always thought would be a community grocery. Mm-hmm. And through the pandemic and through everything that we have done over these past 11 years, we have realized that we definitely need more classroom space um, because hands-on classes for workforce development, for processing, for kids is something that is needed in the community and making it accessible to those who are most in need of this Mm -hmm. education is a priority for us. Um, And also to be able to increase the amount of direct food access we're doing. Mm -hmm. So we also do a meal delivery program. And this was kind of born out of 
doing all of these meal distribution sites during the pandemic and realizing there are still people that were missing. There's still these barriers to transportation yeah. and people can't get to sites. Um, and so being able to deliver meals directly to somebody's doorstep. Um, and it, so there's two different ways that we do this. If folks don't have access to a kitchen or aren't able to prepare meals themselves, we send frozen meals. And these are, you know, still utilizing local produce, still scratch made at food chain. Um, but for those who are able, we send whole ingredients along with a suggested recipe mm. and a little bit of education on, you know, how you can utilize these ingredients to make a meal for mm. your family. Um, and those are the programs that we see the most benefit from and being able to provide this direct to consumer education for folks who can't get to our location. Um, and so we, you know, we, we need more storage space in order to be able to do that, um, in order to increase our processing uh, capacity, we need more storage space. And so our thoughts for this kind of third space mm, now mm-hmm. are to create more classroom, community space. Um, we want like an outdoor space as well so that folks can come and share a yeah. meal with us and just have it be a beautiful celebration of the community. Now, this takes a lot of manpower, and it takes money. Yes. So what (laughs) are some things that people who are listening right now, what can they do to help this mission with Food Chain? Yeah, absolutely. We always take donations. Yes. (laughs) Um, We also love to partner with foundations who find that this is very much in line with um, their priorities and with, you know, a focus on community and improving community. We love Lexington. Mm -hmm. We love the Lexington community. We love the people that live around us. um, And we care so much about them. And so, you know, having financial support to be able to do this is a great way to ensure that our community is continuing to thrive. Mm. Let's talk a little bit about feast yes what is happening okay so here's the thing (laughs) i have not been in lexington for very long so i'm just learning about all of the fun things that are happening now this has been going on for a minute yes and we are almost there again so tell us what it is and what's happening yes so this is our fifth annual feast and feast stands for food equity and access sustains tomorrow And it is a celebration that was dreamed up by Central Kentucky's own chef, Weta Michael. Yes, Weta Michael. Yes. Um, And so she was at, in 2016, she was at a James Beard Foundation chef's boot camp for policy and change. Mm. And there she met four of the featured chefs that have come every year to feast. Um, And they really bonded. This retreat that they were at uh, was to bring together chefs who work to improve the world's food systems, fostering space for groundbreaking ideas. Now, Weta Michael was one of the founding board members of Food Mm. Chain. Uh, Smithtown Seafood was dreamed up to collaborate with the aquaponics farm to be able to sell the tilapia that we grow Mm -hmm. on the farm. Um, Most of our lettuce, not all of it, but most of it gets sold to Smithtown Seafood. So if you want some super, super fresh mm. food chain lettuce that is delicious. Uh, get a salad at Smithtown. Um, and so she 
and these chefs really wanted to do something that would bring funding to an organization that is doing a lot of this work as far as food access, food education, realizing that agricultural systems need to be sustainable and what can we do. And so that's when the first feast was held in 2017. Um, And this is around the same time as the teaching and processing kitchen. So it was a big fundraiser Uh for that. Uh, We are now in, this is going to be our fifth annual feast. So we took some time off (laughs) and we are very excited to bring it back. Um, but it is a an opportunity to really highlight female chefs who are doing great things mm. in the culinary world. So this year we have 23 acclaimed <sighs> female chefs um, from all across the nation and all across the state of Kentucky. Uh, and they come together to create a signature small plate that features locally sourced ingredients. Mm. So it really is a reflection of what food chain does as far as highlighting local food highlighting sustainable food systems um and it is one of our big fundraisers so when is that happening it is happening may 24th at phasig tipton and it is going to be outdoors this year there's going to be live music there's lots of really great cocktails and mocktails and just small plates, and it's just going to be beautiful. I cannot wait. I'm so excited. Now, one more question before we get into segment two. Okay. The word sustainability has Mm -hmm. become a little bit of a buzzword. Yeah. (laughs) Can you tell us the importance of what sustainability really means, especially when we're talking about food insecurity and the food system here in our hometown? Yeah, it's definitely hard. Yes. (laughs) I've been a part of a lot of sustainability (laughs) conversations lately. Uh And it is, it is a difficult thing to pin down. Um, What we really look for when it comes to sustainable food systems is something that can last and something that um, if you think of traditional farming and the use of a lot of pesticides that erodes the soil and makes it unusable and contaminates it and that's just not sustainable Mm -hmm. because it can cause people to fall ill it can cause um, seeds to not grow as well and so when we think about sustainable food systems it's that all the inputs have um, or not all the inputs um, but Everything is supported. And this also Mm. comes down to, if you think of like buying cheap food and something that is really, really inexpensive, food costs money. And so at what point across the food system are we devaluing the work that is put into to create that? And I think that that is um, a a big focus, especially in the food systems when it comes to sustainability Mm -hmm. and making sure that farmers are being paid adequately um, for what they are producing and that it's not the grocery stores that are receiving most of the profits. Um, and that, uh, there are a lot of migrant workers who are not paid appropriately for Mm -hmm. the work that they are doing. And if it weren't for those who are harvesting all of this food, then we're not going to have it. So one of the things that we really focus on is also kind of food miles and how far your food has mm. to travel. Because especially as the climate change conversation comes into play, if you are shipping any kind yep. of food, any distance, you are contributing to that. And there's no reason we should be buying 
strawberries from California because we want to eat them. We have strawberries here. Well, yeah, (laughs) but people want to eat strawberries in December, and that's just not sustainable Uh because that's not when the season is. So a lot of our focus in everything we do is like focusing on seasonality of fruits Mm. and vegetables and encouraging people to eat with the seasons to go directly to the source, buy directly from farmers. There are so many opportunities across Lexington to buy directly from farmers or to buy directly from a grocery store that Mm -hmm. is getting it from a farmer um, and doing so at a price that is sustainable for the farmer to be Mm -hmm. able to continue. Continue. (laughs) Exactly. Um, So that's really where our minds go when we think of sustainability. Mm. Now, we are going to go into segment two, which is what I like to call BGCF (laughs) Fast Facts, where I'm going to ask you a question, and without thinking about it too much, you're going to give me the first thing that pops up. Are you ready? Yes. What are you reading right now? I am reading a cookbook that my sister got me for Christmas called Six Seasons. It's A New Way with Vegetables by Joshua McFadden. It is wonderful. Oh, okay. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) What are you watching right now? Uh, I have recently started watching the show Kindred and I'm just very much drawn in. What is that? I've heard of this before. It... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I know that it has to do with time traveling. Uh It's based on a series that was written in the 70s. What is it on? Maybe... Uh, I stream it, so I don't know what okay. channel it's on. I think it's FX, maybe. Oh, okay. Yes. So it's a... So maybe like a Hulu. A woman who moves to L.A. from New York and moves into a house and then starts time traveling back to, like, Civil War era. I like it. Kindred. Yes. Mm. yes. What are you listening to right now? Uh, Bonnie Light Horseman. It is a band... That I saw open for another artist that I can't remember, <laughs> um, but has a lot of members of other bands that are yes. popular. So it's, yeah, they're great. Oh, I love. What are you eating? Oh, my gosh. I've never been so excited <laughs> to ask. What are you eating right now? This is a hard one. I mean, like my most recent thing would be an orzo pasta salad that I've been teaching in a lot of my hands-on cooking classes. Oh, my god! And the younger kids don't seem to like it as much as adults do. Yeah. They don't know any better. (laughs) I would love it. Yes. It's the best kind of pasta salad. Mm. What are you most scared of? (sighs) The world running out of fresh water. Is that too? (laughs) Aquaponics, baby. I don't know. Is that too drastic? (laughs) No. Um, I'm also terrified. Yeah. Right? I I know. (laughs) I don't even know what to do about it, I guess. Yes. What are you most proud of? I really am proud of the work that everyone did during Nourish Lexington. Mm. I mean, we had like one day to kind of plan it and bring it together and continue to learn along the way. And everyone just jumped in. And it was just, it was great. Mm. All hands on deck. <laughs> yes. Who do you look up to? Chef Ann Cooper. So mm. she's the founder of the Chef Ann Foundation out of Boulder, Colorado, and they really focus a lot and push scratch cooking in schools, focus on more local. Yeah. Love it. What are you most looking forward to? Feast. Mm. (laughs) Me too. I cannot wait. Oh my God. Hit us with the date one more time. May 24th. Mm. Mark your calendars. Yes. Why do you love our community? 
we are a very diverse community and I think we're becoming even more diverse and it is so great to be able to share all of the food culture and food history with everyone that lives here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just what I love. (laughs) Why do you love yourself? I am a cancer survivor and that, yeah. So it, it definitely has influenced who I am, how I look at the world, how I interact. And food plays a huge part of that um, and has really helped me to define my career. Mm, so happy you're here. Thank Goodness you. gracious. Last question. Yes. How can people learn more about Feast? How can yeah. people learn more about Food Chain? Yeah. Give us all the goods. So on social media, we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. We are at Food all Chain. All the things. At Food Chain Lex. <laughs> um, you can find and we try and publish all the time. So that's a really great place. You can also go to our website, foodchainlex.org. You probably hear a theme here with the Food Chain Lex. Hello. Um, and those are really great places. We have a calendar of events um, on our website. So we try and post where we'll be, what we'll be doing on there. But a few things that I do want to highlight. Um, so we do, we participate in the first Sundays at the Julieta Market. This mm-hmm. is the first Sunday of every month from 12 to 3 p.m. with a lot of other really great nonprofit organizations. Seedleaf was really a big organizer in this. Um, There are performances by the Lexington Philharmonic. There are activities for families. Definitely come out every Sunday to participate in that. Um, There will be a Swahili festival at BCTC that's hosted by the Marafiki Center Mm. on June 3rd, and Food Chain will be participating in that. And then we're going to have a summer kickoff at Coolivan Park on June 10th. Um, And there will be an opportunity. We're going to have performances by local artists. We are going to have other nonprofits there. We're really going to highlight. So Food Chain does summer meals for kids during the summer. Mm -hmm. So we're going to kick it off on June 10th um, and share all of those resources with the community. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much yes, for being here. Absolutely. This has been so Thank wonderful. You. you are going to see so much of me. You're going to be so <laughs> sick of me. That's I'm, good. I'm coming to the aquaponics. Yes. It's going to be down. serious. Great. <laughs> well, we will see you next time. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Do Good Radio Hour, brought to you by Bluegrass Community Foundation. We'll be back next week right here on Radio Lex, or you can listen to us anytime on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at BGCFKY or visit us at BGCF.org to stay up to date on all of the latest giving and do-good opportunities in our community. Until next time, I'm Courtney Turner. Do good and be well. You are listening to the Do Good Radio Hour on Radio Lex, WLXU 93.9 LP FM Lexington. Our theme song is Happy Tune, written and performed by Brother Smith. The views expressed on this podcast are not necessarily the views of Radio Lex, its board of directors, or Bluegrass Community Foundation. The views expressed are solely my own and the guests'.